wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. Angel Garza debuting on Raw, Rhea Ripley showing up to confront Charlotte Flair, WWE signing killer Cross and Timothy Thatcher, Velveteen Dream returning to NXT, and it's only Thursday. What more can happen in the remainder of the week that hasn't happened already? It's, it's been a pretty damn good week so far for the world of wrestling, specifically with WWE, but all of the shows that I've seen so far this week, Power, Raw, NXT, Dynamite, even Impact, were all very good shows for the most part. The pressure is on for a SmackDown to deliver tonight. Uh, we have a ton to talk about here today on WrestleRant Radio for February 6, 2020, as we always do, between Raw, NXT, and Dynamite. Bringing back the NXT and Dynamite reviews here to the show for the first time in quite a few weeks, uh, just because we were preoccupied with Royal Rumble weekend going into it, coming out of it, but... We have a bit of a break this week uh, with no events last weekend or this coming weekend, which is good. We have the XFL debuting on Saturday. I don't really have much to say about that. I will probably, for those wondering, for those who care, I will probably be watching the first game on Saturday just to say that I watched it. I am not a football fan. I did watch the Super Bowl on Sunday. I enjoyed it. I thought the game was good. Go Chiefs. I thought the commercials were largely solid. Uh, for anyone disappointed by the commercials, I feel like any Super Bowl I've seen in the last five to seven years, the commercials are almost always a letdown because people get their hopes a little too high. Uh, maybe they work. Like, I feel like it's the same thing with WWE, uh, specifically not you know just wrestling on, on the whole, but really specifically WWE and how people get their hopes up with the Royal Rumble every year because of how great it used to be. And granted, this year it was the exception because this year's show I thought was great. The two Rumbles were awesome. I actually rewatched the Men's Rumble for the first time since we watched it live a week and a half ago. I rewatched it on Tuesday with Alexis and, and thoroughly enjoyed it the second time as much as I did the first time. In full, too. Like, I rewatched all the surprises the day after and the night of and whatever. Um, but we rewatched the full Men's Rumble, which was... Again, a great piece of business, which I discussed in full last week right here on the show. But today we're discussing all the fallout from last week with Raw, NXT, Dynamite, and everything else in between right here on WrestleRant Radio. I am Graham Jesus Matthews. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl as much as I did. Hope you are looking forward to the XFL on Saturday. And as it said on hashtag AskGSM on Wednesday, there's a lot to look forward to. Next week we are doing NXT TakeOver Portland predictions. Not sure if we're going to have RJ on to do the... Uh, Usual panel of predictions, probably, maybe, if not here on the show, then on a separate exclusive video to the YouTube channel, so subscribe there. Um, we have that coming up next weekend. We have the AEW Revolution pay-per-view, fast approaching. Um, that's going to be um, later this month on Leap Day, actually, which I will not be watching live. I'm probably going to an Evolve show that same day where Keith Lee, Rhea Ripley, and Tommaso Ciampa are going to be, which is pretty awesome, so... Going to that, the big event uh, the following week um, on March 7th, the subsequent Saturday, 
going there to meet a, a slew of superstars from WWE and beyond. And then I'll be in Anaheim, California for a few days um, from Friday, March 13th through Wednesday, the 18th next month. Uh, just to visit Disneyland. I've been to California before. I was there. I went to San Francisco about a dozen or so years ago. Um, have not been there since. I enjoyed California the first time. I've never been to Disneyland before. I'm a big Disney guy. I love Disney World. I've never been to Disneyland. And I had the opportunity to go, and I jumped right on it. So I'll be there next uh, next month. I don't know how that's going to affect the show. I'm leaving first thing Friday morning. We'll be back late Wednesday night. Uh, I'm going to try to keep up, as I always do whenever I'm away, on the wrestling shows that air. Um, I'll probably still record the show. The, the funny thing is, I'm not gone for a single Thursday. I'm gone from Friday to Wednesday. So <laughs> I'll be able to record the show on the 12th and then record it when I get back. I mean, I assume that Thursday, if I'm not, you know, jam-packed. I mean, obviously, I'll have to catch up with Dynamite and NXT and shit like that. So I'm not even really sure what the show would be on. Um, but I'll probably still do a show that day, even if it goes up late. Um, still, nonetheless, though, you guys could check out full episodes of the show every single week right here on NextAirWrestling.net, but also on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show, rate the show, review the show. All that stuff is greatly appreciated. Find me on the socials as well, on Twitter at WrestleRan, and on Facebook as well, facebook.com backslash Graham.gsm.matthews. And also on the aforementioned YouTube channel, subscribe there as well for my full reviews of Ms. and Mrs., which comes back, or actually came back about a week and a half ago, and the show's been good so far. My full reviews of that show are up on the YouTube channel. My full reviews of WWE Break It Down, Ride Along, WWE 24, 365, Day Of, Chronicle, all that stuff is available right now. The hashtag AskGSM videos, excerpts of this very podcast are all available on the YouTube channel. And actually, on Tuesday, I put up my full interview with Edge from November of 2018. It was one of the few interviews I've done that I didn't put here in the podcast that I really wanted to, but unfortunately, I couldn't because I was told by the person that I was in uh, communication with uh, from the History Channel at the time because that's what we talked for. We actually talked to promote Edge's appearance on Vikings on the History Channel. And he, I, I guess he's been a part of the show for a few seasons now. I don't watch the show, but... Um, I got into it after I was told that he was on the show and that I would be talking to him about it. But anyway, we promoted, I think, the fifth season of Vikings, the second half of the fifth season of Vikings about a year and a half ago, and it was around that time that Edge and Christian were doing their own podcast. And because of that, I think there might have been an issue with me airing the interview, so I couldn't do it. Um, the same thing with the Christian interview, which I conducted a bit over a year ago at the onset of 2019. I'll probably put the audio, I mean, it's not probably, I will at some point, um, just really more a matter of when than if, put the audio of that interview up as well. The interviews are available on dailyddt.com, um, but I have yet, I had not yet published the audio until Monday, or rather Tuesday, so um, you could check out, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, I'm pretty sure I put the audio up on the channel on Tuesday. I'm pretty sure I published it then, but um, yeah, you can check out my full interview, full 15-minute interview with the WWE Hall of Famer and recently unretired superstar Edge right now on the YouTube channel. So subscribe today for more exclusive content. But before we go any further with today's Wrestle Rant Radio, I do have to mention this. WWE had their quarterly conference call this morning to discuss their financial reports, and it's not really something I follow too, too closely. I probably should. I'm not overly knowledgeable when it comes to that type of stuff. The 
you know, the language they speak when it comes to the financial highlights and low points and stuff like that. I do follow the major talking points. For example, um, this news actually broke after I recorded the show last week and after I put up the podcast, but it is absolutely worth mentioning whether you follow the financial stuff or not. Um, I do very, you know, again, not very closely, but I do follow the major talking points and whether WWE is doing well, things they need to improve on, you know, weird comments they make in these conference calls. I guess Vince actually addressed AEW and who wouldn't want to work for WWE? I guess he was quoted and saying on the conference call today, which <laughs> is a bit concerning. I mean, I know why he would say that, but it is a bit of a silly thing to say. Anyway, news broke last week that WWE let go, fired, forced out, whatever terminology you want to use, their co-presidents, George Barrios and Michelle Wilson. Uh, essentially the people that would be running WWE if Vince McMahon died tomorrow. I know there's Triple H and Stephanie, but these people were very in very important positions of power in that company. And they were let go about a week ago, which was a very concerning sign. Regardless of how well WWE is doing right now financially, they're making more money hand over fist than they ever have at any other point in their existence. Uh, from a financial standpoint, I'm not talking about ratings and stuff like that. It's, it's a pretty scary thing to see that they would let go of those two people at such a time, a week before their um, quarterly conference calls. That was obviously no coincidence. And looking at the numbers now and how the WWE Network specifically is down 10% in subscribers uh, from where they were even a year ago is concerning. So I mentioned that because that gets into my next point here. Um, I've, I've loosely followed what's been going on with the conference call today. Um, I won't get into exacts. I mean, that's not really my place to do so just because I really can't offer much of substance, much of, you know, note from my own knowledge of the situation when it comes to the financial talk and whatever with WWE. But this is something we can all understand here with what I'm about to say. Um, I got to give credit to first Brandon Thurston from Twitter, um, from WrestleNomics. He reports a lot of the you know play-by-play for the quarterly conference calls. He offers a lot in terms of what's being said on these conference calls, how can it be analyzed. You know, he did this whole um, news story on the George Barrios, Barrios, however you pronounce it, Michelle Wilson's story from last week, and I got this from his Twitter um, when I read it this morning, and other people have been tweeting on it that um, I guess the beginning of the conference call, Vince McMahon had noted, I believe it was Vince McMahon, that they are looking at the evaluation of strategic alternatives to WWE Network. And then he had later on reported, or rather tweeted, um, Vince had said that the WWE Network strategic alternatives could be implemented, quite frankly, in the next quarter. So what does that mean? What does that mean? A lot of people are interpreting that as the WWE Network may be going away. Brandon himself had said, not that they had outright said this in the conference call, but he interpreted that as he interpreted that as they may be taking the pay-per-views, maybe not all the pay-per-views, maybe the bigger pay-per-views, who knows, takeover, stuff like that, and selling those to bigger networks. Like, for example, I think with the UFC pay-per-views, I might be wrong. I don't think they have the USA pay I don't think they have the UFC pay-per-views on Fight Pass. I may be completely wrong here. I think that has everything else, but then you have to pay for the pay-per-views. The WWE Network, for as much shit as we give this company for creative crap and stuff like that, although recently they have been doing better with Raw and NXT, and I mean NXT is always great. SmackDown is really what they need to improve upon. Um 
But for as much crap as we give this company for stuff like that, when it comes to the network, it's, it's a steal of a deal. For $9.99 a month, you get all the live pay-per-views that were you, you used to pay $60 for, which nowadays, I don't know what moron would. Um, I'm not paying $60 bucks for shit. Even the AEW pay-per-views I know are $50, $60. Bucks. I'm very lucky. I write for Bleach Report. I get a free in there to watch the shows for free. I don't know, honestly, if I would pay 50 bucks to watch an AEW pay-per-view. Yes, they're four times a year, but that's still a lot of money to be investing in one show that you don't know if it's going to be good or not. Back in the day, I never used to buy the WWE pay-per-views. Pre-WWE Network, I mean, I started watching wrestling in April of 2008, so again, you can stop listening now if you want to, um, but when it comes to you know, the WWE Network, I was around for the period where you still had to pay for them, but I was young enough, I just, I didn't have any money, you know, in high school, middle school, whatever, where I was dishing out 50, 60 bucks every single month to watch one of these shows, I would largely just follow the results online, and then when the WWE Network came around, it was a steal of a deal, it couldn't have happened at a better time, um, and now we just watch the shows every month, basically for free, and you get, in addition to that, all of the archived content, original shows, which are very, very good, are they worth, you know, the ten, ten, the the nine ninety nine a month? Yeah, I would say so. Between the twenty four, the Chronicle, and everything else they produce for that, you know, network for that streaming service, it's a steal of a deal. If only to go back and watch old pay per views from older promotions, WWE. Um, you know, they had NXT for a long time, and now it's on USA Network. They have the episodes get uploaded the following day for those who can't watch it. You know, maybe not here in the states, but like in other countries and stuff like that. Um, I think it airs live now on some sort of, on on some channel in the UK, so I may be wrong there anyway too, but anyway, when it comes to the network, basically what people are thinking now, what the conclusions that people are jumping to, and not not for, you know, it's for a reason here, I mean, these are very valid points that people are bringing up, the WWE Network may be changing in the very near future. Now, we did know that a while ago. Um, when it was rumored and basically outright confirmed that WWE at some point would be implementing like a tiered, you know, uh, type of service with the WWE Network, where, for example, you pay $9.99 a month for all the pay-per-views, basically everything you get now, or you can pay $14.99 a month to get everything you get with the network now and other promotions like Progress, Evolve, ICW, you know, stuff like that which honestly is a very good deal. I don't know if I would pay $15 a month for all that content that I probably will not be watching anyway. I get my fill of wrestling just fine from whatever, you know, from all the other stuff that's out there with Impact, Ring of Honor, um, NWA Power, AEW. So I probably would not pay for that personally, but it is a very good deal. It is nice to have the option of knowing that you could pay for more content on the WWE Network, but because the subscriber count went down, and I think... Barrios, again, if that's how you pronounce the last name, George, I guess, George and Michelle Wilson, they were at the forefront of the WWE Network. Now, I'm not saying it was their idea, um, but they were, you know, very responsible for a lot of the success that the WWE Network experienced from its launch six years ago to where it is today. Originally, the WWE Network was supposed to be a channel, like a a pay-per-view channel that you pay for and you tune in and you watch all the shows. Like That's honestly what I figured when they announced the WWE Network. Now, this is back in 2011 that they announced it. I didn't have Netflix at that point. I wasn't really sure how that worked. I'm not even sure if that point, at that point with Netflix, that they were doing the stuff that they're doing now. Probably not. I think at that point, it was just like you send out for DVDs and shit like Redbox and stuff like that. 
Um, but anyway, the idea of having like an online service was, was foreign to people. And that's a, eventually the formula that they followed starting in 2013 before they launched it in 2014 and it ended up being a brilliant idea. Cause who even really watches TV for the most part nowadays to have a pay-per-view channel, like that you can only watch in like one household. That doesn't really make much sense. Um, like a Disney channel is kind of what I was thinking of. Maybe not a Disney channel, but like, I don't know, like an additional channel that you would pay for to like a, like an HBO type of thing is I guess what they were thinking of doing. And they went to what they did instead with the online service, which again is a much easier, smarter way to go with Netflix and everything else being implemented now. But with the subscriber count going down, it could be attributed to a number of things from what I've seen from, you know, Netflix has always been around, but there was a lot of new services now around too. Disney plus launched, um, late last quarter in like November or so, you know, Amazon plus and Amazon TV and shit has always been around, but, um, there's a lot of new streaming services around now compared to even six months ago. And, um, there was another thing I wanted to mention as well. Oh, NXT, NXT now airing on the USA network. I'm sure is a very, it's, 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 it's a big part of that. I know a lot of people that for whatever reason, don't really give a shit about the network. They don't care about the pay-per-views. They don't care about the archived content, which, to each your own, but I think it's again a steal of a deal for ten bucks a month that you could be spending on on whatever else. But that's just me. Just that's just the mark in me speaking. Um, NXT was a big reason why a lot of people stay subscribed to the WWE Network, not for two hundred five live, not for the episodes of Ride Along, but for NXT. So with NXT moving to the USA Network, and you can't watch it on the network until um, the WWE Network, that is, until Thursday night. Why would people stay subscribed? If that's the only reason why you have it and the only reason why you're paying $9.99 a month, why would you stay subscribed? So I get why the numbers might be down. Um, but they've also kind of plateaued. This is not a new thing. The WWE Network has not really experienced much growth in a long time. They hit, I think, the million mark with their subscribers five years ago. In 2015, they announced that they hit a million subscribers for the WWE Network. That was in 2015, and the reason I remember that was because they announced it, ironically, the night after, a day or two after the Royal Rumble pay-per-view that year, which was infamously terrible, infamously atrocious, and people were saying, oh, cancel WWE Network, Roman Reigns won the Rumble, which was a bit too far, but whatever, and then as a result of that, um, you know, they hit a million subscribers, not because of the cancel shit, but, you know, that may have been pre-canceling networks or whatever, but Irregardless, it was announced that they hit the million subscriber mark. That was five years ago. That was five years ago. They are at now maybe 1.4 paid subscribers. I'm sorry, 1.4 million paid subscribers for the WWE Network. Um, and it always, you know, fluctuates a couple hundred thousand around WrestleMania season. People will sign up for the free 30 days to watch WrestleMania for 10 bucks and then cancel immediately afterward. Um, you know, maybe not watch it for $10, but rather for free. People will sign up, get the free month, and then just cancel right afterward. And why wouldn't you, you know? Um, so it, it is a little concerning. I really hope the WWE Network doesn't go away. I love the WWE Network. Um, I watch a lot of the archived content. I watch all the original programming. The pay-per-views are a steal. They have good shows on there with the original programming, 205 Live, NXT UK. NXT UK is a lot more must-see, I would say, than... Um, you know, the uh, fucking uh, 205 Live show, which is just nothing at this point. But, like, the WWE Network still carries the takeovers, you know? It's a lot like the pay-per-views where you have to watch Raw and SmackDown on TV, a lot like USA, but then you have to tune into the network to watch their big pay-per-views 
for free or for $10 a month, whatever. That being the takeovers and the WWE pay-per-views, so... With that being said, I am a little concerned for the future of the WWE Network. I hope this does not mean it's going away. And I don't think I'm over-exaggerating here either. And I don't think a lot of people are as well. Just I think based off what they had said in that conference call, the strategic alternatives doesn't mean doom and gloom for the WWE Network. But it is worth noting because that is the first time they've addressed the idea of maybe not doing away with the network, but making significant changes. The tiered platform, like I said earlier, isn't that bad of an idea at all. For anyone who wants those additional promotions and stuff like that, and hey, maybe you have to pay more to get the pay-per-views. I don't know. And honestly, if that was the case, then I would pay the $15. Call me a mark, but I like to watch the pay-per-views for, you know, a lot less than 60 bucks a month. Um, you know, I think that's a very good idea, but to do away with the entire thing altogether, because there's all these other streaming services popping up, ESPN plus Disney plus Amazon has their own thing. HBO go has been around for a long time. Um, NBC has their own streaming service or will at some point and all these other channels as well. You know, it is something to keep an eye on. I don't think this is one of those things where they're just saying this just to, cause concern for no reason. I, I definitely think this is a story worth following, and I really hope that nothing comes out of it. I really hope that the network is here to stay, and how much money they're really making off this thing for the amount of money they're putting into it, I feel like the pay-per-view model, no one would pay 60 bucks after you get the network, after knowing how good it can be for only $10 a month. Who in their right mind would go back to the way things that used to be? Go back to the way that things used to be years ago. That's the issue with the AEW pay-per-view model. I'm shocked that they have not come to terms with some sort of streaming service, whether it be Fight TV or something, even Honor Club, the Ring of Honor streaming service that they have, which a lot of people don't even know about, care about, pay for, whatever, I do. Um, Their pay-per-views are far and few between, but you can watch all their shows for 10 bucks a month. I mean, you have to pay VIP, you have to pay like all the money up front, Um, but nonetheless, though, you can watch all the shows um, on their streaming service for essentially $10 a month. For all these other, you know, uh, companies, it's, it's, it's different. For WWE, they have that pay-per-view model as well. AEW, it's, it's different because they're asking you to pay $50, $60 for one of their shows. And all their shows so far have been very good. Double or Nothing was great. All Out was great. Full Gear was very good as well. Um, I know we're talking about WWE here, but my point is, is that maybe five, not five years ago, that would have been 2015 during the network era, but 10 years ago, we didn't know how much better it could be paying only $10 a month for all the pay-per-views. We, you know, maybe not me necessarily, I didn't really buy the pay-per-views, I bought maybe two or three before I, you know, signed up for the WWE Network, before that became a thing, I only bought a few, Um, And there were only really shows I was super looking forward to. Not even WrestleMania. I would go watch that with other people. I would, you know, I would do the pay-per-view watch party for those. But like the Royal Rumble, Money in the Bank I purchased once. uh, Night of Champions maybe once or twice. Um, They were shows usually that I was really looking forward to. Um, That was when I, you know, paid the money. I dished out the money to watch the shows. Otherwise, I wouldn't really buy them. But people did that back in the day. They would pay the 50, 60 bucks because they knew of nothing else, you know, but now that we know of the $10 system, or essentially watching the pay-per-views for free, if you pay the $9.99, why would I go back to the way that it used to be? AEW is one thing, they don't really have much of a choice, I'm surprised they haven't partnered up, you know, with the Fight TV to give people a discounted price on the pay-per-views, and maybe they do, I know they air the shows on Fight TV, but I still think they're 50, 60 bucks, at least the NWA pay-per-views are like $25, like that's way more affordable and understandable, 
And they had two back-to-back pay-per-views. They had one in December and one in January, and both shows were like 25 bucks. And those shows were great. I, you know, I think they would have been worth $50, but they're $25 instead. That is, you know, that's the price that I would pay for a pay-per-view. $50, $60 at this point, probably not, to be quite honest with you. Um, especially if we don't know the show is going to be guaranteed to be good. I know that's the risk you run with any pay-per-view, whether it be boxing, wrestling, mixed martial arts. But with WWE, with the network, we know how good it is. We know how good it can be. So I would honestly, me personally, I don't know about anyone else. I'm not speaking on behalf of anyone else but myself. I would never go back to paying 60 bucks a month for a WWE show. Yeah, the Royal Rumble was great maybe for those shows. Absolutely not for fucking Super Showdown or Elimination Chamber, Extreme Rules, Stomping Grounds. No way in hell am I paying for anything more than $9.99 a month for those shows. Again, WrestleMania, Rumble are different stories, but I, I surely hope the WWE Network is going nowhere and that this is all just a bunch of nothing. Not that it's a bunch of nothing. They clearly said that for a reason. But here's hoping they can figure out a way with, um, you know, Ms. Wilson, Michelle Wilson, and George Barrios, Barrios, whatever, um, out of the picture. And that, that is a shame because, again, I feel like they were very responsible in the success of the network. They were, they should be, a lot of that success of the network should be credited to them. Um, with them out of the picture, hopefully that does not mean doom and gloom for the WWE Network and they don't change it too drastically to the point where it gets to a point where people are, you know, they're going to have to pay $20 or $30 a month again for the pay-per-views. I just don't think that's going to work. I don't think people will go, I don't think there's ever going to be another period again with wrestling or really any other genre. Maybe UFC, that's a different story. I just, I, I would never pay 60 bucks on a MMA pay-per-view every month. I just, I think it's just too much money. Um, you know, especially with, you know, nowadays, but anyway, I don't think there will ever be another point where people are paying 60 bucks a month, maybe for the other pay-per-views like UFC and and boxing and shit like that. Definitely not professional wrestling. AEW is different. They do it four times a year. That's one thing. WWE doing it once, twice a month. They will never experience that ever again. So here's hoping the network is here to stay. Moving right along here into my Monday Night Raw review for February 3rd, 2020. Overall, I thought this was a very strong show. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I've been very harsh on Raw over the last year, and rightfully so. There have been some episodes that were cringeworthy, to say the least, and have not featured great storytelling, compelling action, uh, pay-per-view build, you know, stuff of that nature. But I really think in the last maybe a month or so, if not longer, the show has really hit a stride. And there was a lot of talk around the time that Paul Heyman, you know, took the reins of Raw back in June that what would his influence on the show be? Would he have much creative influence? Is this all what we're seeing right now? Vince McMahon's vision? Does Paul Heyman have something to do with it? I believe that he does. Is he solely responsible for Raw's improvement in quality over the last month or two? Nah, probably not. I think you can't you can't poop on Vince for all the bad stuff and then praise Paul Heyman for all the good stuff. It goes both ways. I do absolutely think that the Rusev Bobby Lashley nonsense and the Eric Rowan push is not all Vince McMahon. I'm sure that was partly Paul Heyman, especially knowing his history with ECW and storylines like that. I am not at all surprised that a storyline of that, you know, of, of that nature would happen under Paul Heyman's watch. So whether that was his idea and Vince McMahon loved it or Paul Heyman just went along with it, I don't know. But the storyline sucked. It still sucks. I think it's still going on. I honestly have no clue. I know Bobby Lashley was in the main event of Raw this week. 
in the triple threat to determine the number one contender to the WWE Championship at Super Showdown. Rusev reportedly has, you know, uh, creative has nothing for him. I saw that from Walt Culture earlier today. Whether that's true or not, it's not hard to believe, to be honest with you. I can absolutely believe that WWE may have nothing creatively for Rusev to do, um, and which is why they dragged out that storyline with Lashley and Lana and Rusev and Liv Morgan for as long as they did. So that's a whole other story. But again, going back to the grander scale of things here, to the bigger scale of Monday Night Raw, um, since the show was overtaken creatively by Paul Heyman back in the summer of 2019, people were like, oh, in two weeks, the, the show still sucks. Within two weeks, people were already pooping on Raw and saying that Paul Heyman had no creative influence and all this other stuff. And the quality of the show, to be fair, really did not change for some time. And we had to go through a bit of a dark period late last year with all the squash matches and stuff like that in order to get to where we are now. So it looks like finally all the effort put into building people like Drew McIntyre, people like Ricochet, I, I feel hesitant to say they're putting effort into pushing because prior to this past week, the guy was doing all of nothing, a, a, a lot of nothing until this past Monday. Um, not really him, but Andrade is another one that has reaped the benefits of Paul Heyman's recent rise in power on Monday Night Raw. He's been doing really well. I mean, aside from the recent suspension, he's still the current United States champion. Um, those guys, I'm trying to think of who else. I know there's many more people I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. You know, Charlotte and Rhea Ripley doing their thing, which I'll get to momentarily. Angel Garza, I'm absolutely positive, was a... Paul Heyman decision. Asuka's really benefited from having Paul Heyman in charge of Raw now that she's, you know, still feuding with Becky Lynch over the Raw Women's Championship, the Kabuki Warriors doing their thing. Aleister Black being slowly but surely built up. Buddy Murphy's another beneficiary of the Paul Heyman era here on Raw. So again, it, it took some time. We were seeing a lot of squash matches for a long time there. We still are in certain respects with people like Eric Rowan, which I could give two shits about. But overall, it feels like Raw is a much more complete show. At least compared to SmackDown, which is in shambles right now. And they have some stuff, you know, liking and, and some stuff worth investing in. People like John Morrison and The Miz have recently reunited, which is awesome. Sheamus is back, which is cool. The Usos are doing their thing. The Roman Reigns, Baron Corbin feud was absolutely awful, but it may finally be over. Thank the Lord. Um, the women's division really hasn't, you know, lit the world on fire. Naomi's back, which is great. That's a step in the right direction. And Lacey Evans was doing her thing, and Bailey has kind of fallen flat as a heel champion. Um, that show is much more hit or miss. Raw, it feels like in recent weeks to the past month or two, has been a much easier to show to sit down and watch every single week, and this show was no exception. Um, another angle worth investing in on Raw that I forgot to mention, the Randy Orton Edge storyline that kicked off last week. So Edge obviously coming back in the Royal Rumble match, which I discussed at length here on the show last week. Um, Edge has returned, and um, I do absolutely think, as they've said a number of times over the past week and a half, that AEW had a big, big influence in WWE's decision to clear Edge again. Because all of a sudden, we're supposed to believe that Edge is cleared, and maybe he would have been cleared five years ago if he put the same amount of effort into getting cleared. And I think having that leverage with AEW being an option absolutely played into their decision to clear him. I, I will not doubt that for a single second that AEW played as important of a factor as anything else in Edge coming back to the ring in WWE. Because without AEW, they would probably not feel as pressured to clear Edge for in-ring competition. But they did because AEW wanted him, 
and uh, Edge probably wouldn't have gone there, but he used that deal as leverage for WWE to clear him and offer him $3 million reportedly a year for the next three years. That's $9 million. That's unbelievable. Um, Those kids that he has with Beth Phoenix, they are set for life. Their colleges consider them paid for in full, um, which is awesome for him. But still, anyway, going back to my original point, I'm really enjoying the story they're telling so far with Edge and Randy Orton. It makes sense. First of all, I know we're only two weeks in, but so far, so good. Um, Orton was advertised as kicking off the show to explain his actions from last week and ambushing Edge with the concerto. Why did he do what he did? Why, Randy, why? As that great sign from Raw had written on it in the front row. But this was a great segment because Orton said absolutely nothing. And some people may argue, oh, it was a waste of time. You know, they advertised him explaining his actions and he didn't, blah, blah, blah. This was fantastic. I mean, you can't do this all the time. But first of all, they have two months until WrestleMania. That's where the match needs to happen. Not at Super Showdown, not on Raw, not at Elimination Chamber. Edge and Orton needs to be saved at this point, needs to be saved for WrestleMania. So they have two months to kill. They're not going to have Edge come back, hopefully not anytime soon. I would save Edge until at least after Super Showdown. I would have him be brought back in early March, and that's when you can begin the build to WrestleMania with these two. Uh, There's no reason to do it anytime before then. There's just not. Um, Edge's attack was so brutal that for him to come back anytime soon in the next week or two would be just unrealistic. And they had the time to kill anyway, so it makes sense. And you can have Orton continue to tease, not saying anything, a lot like, you know, not comparing him to Sting in the, in the late 90s in WCW where he didn't, you know, um, talk for the longest time, or Dean Ambrose for the longest time before they gave him that awful dialogue. After he turned on Seth Rollins, it took him weeks to finally speak his first words and explain why he turned on Seth Rollins and broke up the Shield uh, back in late 2018. I, th- I think stuff like this is really, really smart because it drags out the feud, people want to hear him talk, and... You don't want to give them what they want, so just don't talk. And no one is a better heel right now in WWE, for the most part, than Randy Orton. The art of being a heel is lost in so many people. MJF is another great heel that just, you know, whenever he gets cheered or whatever, he turns the crowd against him. He does not give a shit. He stays stays true to his character. He is MJF inside and outside of the ring, which is why I love that character. Randy Orton is one of the few people left in WWE that can be a great good guy and be just an awesome bad guy too. Like I said, we rewatched the Royal Rumble, the Men's Rumble a few days ago, and it's so amazing to me that he goes from, in the span of 24 hours or 8 days, if you want to you know, talk about this week's Raw, Orton can go from getting this big pop when he comes out in the Rumble from the crowd, because people love Randy Orton, the RKO out of nowhere, he's been around for a long time, blah 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 to then being booed out of the building the next night after he attacks Edge, or eight days later on Raw when he doesn't offer an explanation for his actions. Very few people can do that quite like Randy Orton. Chris Jericho might be another, but definitely Randy Orton is up there. So I thought this was great. It went on for a long time. It actually reminded me of that Roman Reigns segment the night after WrestleMania um, in 2017, right after WrestleMania 33. Now, Raymond, Roman Reigns did eventually speak, and he wasn't you know, supposed to get that type of heat. Um, WWE didn't run with that the way that they should have. They should have turned the guy heel after that. They didn't. They kept him a baby face. So that wasn't the, the desired reaction. But they wanted to get this type of reaction out of the crowd in Salt Lake City. And they did. And I thought it worked brilliantly. 
Unfortunately, right after that, we had the rematch between Liv Morgan and Lana from last week's Raw. This was no more or no less mediocre, no less terrible than the original encounter. Now, Liv Morgan is serviceable. She's not terrible by any means, and she's not great, but she's not nearly as bad as Lana. Lana needs to be kept out of the ring at all costs. She wasn't good in this match. She wasn't good when she was feuding for the SmackDown Women's Championship a few years ago. She has never, ever been good. So just keep her out of the ring altogether, please. So the match, thankfully, was on the shorter side, which I appreciated, but it still should not have happened. Liv Morgan already decisively beat Lana. She beat her again decisively here. Why continue the feud? The cool part was that we got Ruby Riot coming out afterward, uh, returning for the first time in 9, 10 months. I think she underwent sh- uh, shoulder surgery, double shoulder surgery, actually, to be exact, um, in, in May, but I don't think she's appeared on Raw. I think she had a quick squash against like Becky Lynch or something. Um, since April. So she's been out of action for about 9, 10 months. She got a pretty good reaction. People remember the Riot Squad, so I like the history here. You could see the turn coming from a mile away. It was so obvious that based off Liv's facial expressions, Ruby Riot, they were so over the top in seeing each other that it was pretty obvious that Ruby Riot was coming out to turn on her, you know, a la Sasha Banks with Natalia last summer, which was way more of a shock. This was, again, very predictable, but not in a bad way. I liked how it played out. And then Lana... Picked up the scraps and attacked Liv afterward as well. So Lana was watching the entire time as Ruby Riot attacked Liv Morgan. So it looks like Ruby Riot and Lana may be you know, loosely aligned, which I do not like. Because again, first of all, it continues the Liv Morgan-Lana feud, which really is over nothing. We have no idea why Liv Morgan's even involved in this angle. She said that she was in love with Lana, and that was it. We still have no idea what the whole purpose of this program is beyond that, and that was over a month ago at this point. The matches have been terrible. It's nice to an extent that they have feuds outside the women's championship picture on Raw. I do like that. But at the same time, if it's, you know, if the matches aren't good, the story's not good, how much does that really mean? So it looks like Liv and Lana isn't over yet. I do like that Ruby Riot's back. That's awesome. Um, and I am honestly kind of glad in retrospect that she wasn't brought back as part of the Women's Rumble because I feel like her return with Naomi coming back and you know so many other people returning and, and the women and the surprise returns, the NXT women, it wouldn't have packed as much of a punch as it did here. Now, again, I hate the Liv and Lana storyline, but I do like that Ruby Riot's back. She had the spotlight show, you know, I shined on her on this show with, um, you know, Liv Morgan being attacked by her former friend. I think it worked. Just get, you know, Lana out of the picture, and I, I like it even more. I like the idea, although the matches probably won't be anything amazing, I do like the idea of a Ruby Riot-Liv Morgan feud. I do, because it makes sense. Ruby Riot's been gone for a long time. Liv Morgan's gone crazy in the meantime. Um, it makes sense to have them feud with Ruby Riot being back now if they're not going to reform the Riot Squad. But at the same time, though, I do not want Lana involved in the story. There is no reason to continue on with Lana as a member of the Raw Women's Division. Get her off of my TV completely, please. Maybe as a valet for, you know, Rusev or something, but they that ship sailed a long time ago when they did this whole divorce angle a few months ago. Rusev, I'm shocked they have nothing for him creatively, but they do for Lana. Get the fuck out of here. This is terrible. But it is cool to see Ruby Riot back, though, if nothing else. Uh, Mojo Raleigh, the 24-7 champion, was in action up next, taking on Drew McIntyre. And McIntyre even said beforehand that, listen, dude, I'm going to beat you in three seconds. So you might as well just get ready for it. And uh, it wasn't quite three seconds, but it was on the shorter side, beating Mojo Raleigh in maybe under 10 seconds or so. One Claymore kick, and he was done. 
And this was exactly what it needed to be. That 24-7 championship, first of all, means absolutely nothing to the point where, you know, if Drew wanted to win it, then he could have pinned him for it right here. But why would he? Because the championship is trash. Like I said with the Brock Lesnar R-Truth segment a couple of weeks ago, it would have been nice for Brock to win it, just to rip it up and destroy it so we never have to see this shit again. But unfortunately, they're continuing on with it. They think it's a cute thing. It's it's a cute, you know, championship for whatever that means. Um... You know, they, they want to continue on with it. They don't want to let it die so quickly because it was a USA Network idea. And in theory, it is a good idea, but it has meant absolutely nothing. And it, and it peaked, you know, months ago with the R-Truth-Drake-Maverick feud. And ever since Maverick got moved over to SmackDown, the championship has meant absolutely nothing. It meant nothing to begin with, but at least it was more entertaining six months ago than it is right now. Mojo Raleigh is just fucking terrible. I mean, the guy has been with a company for, what, seven years now? Has barely improved as a character in the ring, and he seems like a really nice guy, I like his energy, I really do, but as a character, I cannot bring myself to care about him whatsoever, because he has shown zero development in seven years, the guy was in NXT for almost three years, and the only reason why they called him up was because they needed to fill out the rosters for the brand extension being brought back, and they teamed him up with uh, Zack Ryder, now I like the hype bros, but on his own, Mojo Raleigh does zero for me. So, uh, the Riddick-Moss pairing, I mean, I guess it makes sense on paper, but Ross, Ross, Riddick-Moss, rather, not Jim Ross, um, has done absolutely nothing so far in the few weeks he's been on Monday Night Raw. He did beat Cedric Alexander on main event last week in a pretty mediocre match, but that says more about how little they care about Cedric Alexander than how much they care about Riddick-Moss. So, anyway, I don't really think he's off to the strongest start so far on the main roster, uh, but it is cool to see Drew McIntyre rolling through jabronis like Mojo Raleigh. I'm not sure if they're going to have him feud with someone in the interim, whether it be like a Randy Orton or an AJ Styles when he comes back. By the way, I forgot to mention that it was announced by WWE.com on Monday before Raw. It is official. AJ Styles is injured. Um, I'm not sure. It was a very brief statement they put out on their website, but they just said that he would be out indefinitely, but he is recovering way ahead of schedule. So for whatever that means, I would assume that he will be back in the not so distant future, whether it be around Super Showdown time, but hopefully before WrestleMania. And it's not like he's good to go by March and they hold off on him coming back until after Mania. Um, that would be a real shame for him to miss out on WrestleMania this year. But um, it is official that AJ is hurt. Hopefully he is back on the sooner side. And you know, coming off of what we saw, you know, what we saw a little later on, and I'll talk more about Alistair Black in a second and um, the United States Championship picture. I did say at one point that Alistair Black and Andrade would make sense for WrestleMania. I take that back. Now that we kind of get a better sense of what the United States Championship picture may look like in about a month or two going into WrestleMania, I think the better match for Alistair at Mania might be him and AJ Styles. Um, it would be a very prominent spot for him to be in. The match would certifiably be great. Um, so I see no reason not to do it. It gives Alistair Black a prominent singles match in the show. It gives Alistair, or rather AJ, someone new to work with. So I, I like that idea the more I think about it. I like it more and more uh, the more time passes. But um, yeah, I think that makes more sense at this point than having you know, Alistair involved rather in the United States Championship picture or having AJ shoehorned into the Edge Orton storyline just because Edge injured AJ legitimately at the Rumble. It would feel forced. I know AJ has unfinished business with Randy Orton from a few weeks ago from the last couple months, but I'm really, I, I would rather see Orton and Edge one-on-one -on -one at this point. I mean, AJ being in there might make it a better match, um, but I do think it would be just better if it was Edge and Orton straight up. Anyway, we did have after that the 
Um, Raw Tag Team Champions Buddy Murphy, or rather one half of the Raw Tag Team Champions Buddy Murphy, team up with AOP to take on the trio of Kevin Owens and the Viking Raiders in an elimination six-man tag team match. Um, the Viking Raiders were taken out pretty quickly. Um, I think Ivar was pinned. Eric, I forgot honestly which one is which, but the bald guy was pinned. And then the one with hair, the former Warbeard Hansen, was taken to the back after he stupidly did a crossbody into the um, ring apron. Why, I don't know. But he, he went did a crossbody aiming for Buddy, I think, or someone. And he went like body first right into the side of the ring. So he was taken out with an injury. And that left Kevin Owens. He took out Akam. He took out Buddy Murphy. And that left him, just him and Razor. And it looked like Kevin Owens would pull out the victory. And he was super over here. I'm loving the story they're telling right now with Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins and Buddy Murphy and AOP and the Viking Raiders and Samoa Joe, who is out hurt, I believe, legitimately. Um, He suffered a concussion in last week's tag team title match, which is a real shame because the guy always gets hurt, and it's not his fault, but it seems like he's just pretty injury prone, Um, but this was a very good match, told a great story, the crowd was into it, and despite Kevin Owens coming oh so close to beating the heels and overcoming the odds, Buddy Murphy and Razar and and Akam, you know, reign supreme in the end after Razar pinned uh, Kevin Owens to pick up the victory, I believe after help from Seth Rollins, so this was great, I really enjoy this for what it was, I like how they're you know, slowly building up Kevin Owens to be the sympathetic over baby face. He's really, really over right now. So yeah, he's no longer the face of Raw that he was, you know, two months ago, right after Rollins went heel and they needed someone to fill that void pretty quickly. Um, but he is still a pretty prominently featured baby face on the show, which is cool. I don't know what the end game is. That's the question. What do you do as the end game? Do you do a War Games match at some point, whether it be maybe not at WrestleMania, but at Elimination Chamber? Do you do some sort of four-on-four with Rollins... Murphy and AOP versus um, the Viking Raiders, Owens and Joe, if he's cleared. I think that'd be awesome. Um, I'm not sure if they're headed in that direction. I'm not sure what the end game is here, aside from maybe a Rollins and Owens match. Potentially WrestleMania, I'm not really sure. Um, but at least in the meantime, the story is being well told, and they're having great matches. The crowd's into it. Rollins is killing it as a heel right now. He's way more, he's way fresher now than he was as a babyface in the last year of his babyface run. So I'm liking what Rollins is doing right now. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where this story ends up and how it's going to be resolved. Alistair Black beating Eric Young in a matter of a minute or two. I'm fairly decisive squash. And once again, cutting a pretty ambiguous promo afterwards. Where he's going with this, I have no idea. But hey, it's better than the dumb backstage segments. I'll say that much. Um, Like I said earlier, I think Black and AJ would be the best possible option for both men at WrestleMania. So then we had Humberto Carrillo out in the ring, ready for in-ring action, only to find out that his opponent, none other than his own cousin, Angel Garza, former NXT Cruiserweight Champion Angel Garza, the same man that was hired by WWE less than 10 months ago, in April of 2019, the same man that made his debut on NXT TV in record time within three months as part of the NXT breakout tournament that summer. The same man that mere months after that won the NXT Cruiserweight Championship from Leo Rush, just lost it mere weeks ago at the World's Collide Show, which was a bit of a puzzling move, and it may seem like it may be because he's on his way to the main roster. Um, so he came out with uh, Zelina Vega by his side, and they informed us that they are indeed cousins, which has been, you know, they, they've acknowledged that before. I believe they had a match on 205 Live together against each other a few months ago. 
So this is nothing new. I honestly completely forgot that they were cousins until they acknowledged that. I totally forgot about that, which is good that they're not like shoving it down her throats. Like, oh, did you know that Nia Jax is The Rock's cousin? Like, that's a, that, that, that was, they, they used to do that like every week back in the day with Nia Jax and NXT when she first got called up. It's like, okay, we fucking get it. She's cousins with The Rock. Get over it. But anyway, more importantly, they have not done that with Angel Garza and Alberto Carrillo. They will acknowledge it with stuff like this, but beyond that, they will not mention it constantly during Garza's matches or Carrillo's matches, which I like. So Zelina Vega comes out, and again, Andrade is out suspended for the next 30 days. So I guess she may be managing Angel Garza in the meantime. Um, Angel Garza and Carrillo go at it. He's about to lay out Carrillo the same way that he laid out, or that Carrillo laid out Andrade, the same way that Andrade laid out Carrillo a few months ago. But before he could do it, out comes Rey Mysterio. So they get all the Latino stars in WWE in one angle over, ironically, the United States Championship. But I like this a lot, um, just because all four guys have built-in chemistry, history with each other. We all know they all work well together. Because Andrade and Mysterio have amazing chemistry. They just finished feuding up over the United States Championship. I thought that might be it for Mysterio in the U.S. title picture, but apparently not. Um, they're obviously still doing Carrillo and Andrade. They've had really good matches in the past. And Angel Garza and Rey Mysterio that happened for the first time ever on this show, they had really good chemistry as well. So this is going where I think it's going, and they may hopefully wait and hold out until WrestleMania to do a fatal four-way over the United States Championship, then take my money. First of all, that's a great first use of Angel Garza on the main roster. He came across like a star in his performance, or rather in his appearance and performance on Raw this week against Rey Mysterio. It would have been very easy for WWE to book Garza to lose his debut match against Rey Mysterio. I mean, no shame in that. It's Rey freaking Mysterio. But he went out there had a very competitive match with Rey Mysterio and did not lose by pinfall or submission. He got himself disqualified um, after he laid out Rey Mysterio on the concrete, which led to a lot of speculation. Will Rey Mysterio be out for the next month as he's suspended? Um, so far, I've heard nothing about any of that, so he may very well be back next week or in a couple weeks, whatever. And, and we may just get a garza Carrillo feud in the meantime, which, again, makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't he go after his cousin, that was promoted the Raw also in record time. Carrillo debuted on 205 Live around this time a year ago, about a year ago, right after the Royal Rumble, I believe. He was on 205 Live for all of 2019. He was on NXT for a little bit, and then he got called up to Raw in October, and he's been doing very well for himself ever since for the most part. So anyway, um, I do love the idea of a Mysterio, Garza, Andrade, Carrillo, Fatal 4-Way for the United States Championship of WrestleMania. It gets all four guys on the card, gives them a very notable match, gets Mysterio and Andrade at WrestleMania together, which is cool. I, I honestly cannot praise this angle enough. If they can drag this out for the next two months, which they very well could, because Andrade is not coming back until after Super Showdown anyway, then I think this could work. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out, where they go with it. It's very cool to see Angel Garza on Raw, first of all. Um, he is he, He's impressed me anywhere he's been, whether it was an impact years ago, um, he had a few chances to shine over there and did well, but really, since he got signed by WWE, he impressed in the NXT breakout tournament, he impressed on NXT, he impressed on 205 Live, and he was very impressive in his first night on Raw on Monday night. So, again, I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with this, and if it is going toward a fatal four-way match for the Star-Spangled Prize of WrestleMania, then I'm all for it. So the surprises did not end there. Charlotte Flair was advertised to announce 
what her big WrestleMania plans were, for what championship she would vie for. People were already chanting Rhea Ripley, and she acknowledged the chance in mentioning, you know, NXT, which I don't feel like was planned because her mic work has never been the strongest, but she, when she is a heel, it's a lot better than when she's a babyface. But anyway, she mentioned how she's faced and beaten Becky before. She's faced and beaten Bailey before. There's nothing really more for her to do. And that brought out the NXT champion, Rhea Ripley, or the NXT women's champion, what have you. Um, you know, I, They're calling it the NXT championship, but to me, it's still the NXT women's championship. So she comes out, confronts Charlotte. Charlotte walks away. So I'm not a big fan of that. That, to me, doesn't make much sense. Why would Rhea Ripley challenge Charlotte when Charlotte should be the one challenging her? Uh, Rhea Ripley, not that she looks desperate, but it just looks strange that she's the one saying, hey, come face me at WrestleMania. Obviously, she would, you know, welcome the challenge, but for her to be making the challenge is a bit bizarre. It's like when the Kabuki Warriors challenged Charlotte and Becky to challenge them for the WWE Women's Tag Titles at TLC a few months ago. That was weird. This was a little weird as well, but I get where they're going with it. Um, they followed up on it on NXT this week. Again, Charlotte never once said she wants to go for the NXT Women's Championship at WrestleMania, but they wouldn't be teasing all of this if that's not where they were going with it. Um, I think there's a very good chance that's the match that we get and that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see it turn into a triple threat with Bianca Belair after the great performance that she had on Wednesday's NXT. Um, I thought she was great in that segment with Rhea Ripley and Charlotte. So it could very well be Belair versus Ripley versus Charlotte at WrestleMania. It all depends on the outcome of their takeover match in Portland. Now, NXT doesn't do many DQ finishes. I don't think we've ever seen a takeover um, I mean, we've seen a few non-finishes, but never a DQ or a count-out, as far as I'm aware, in the five or six years they've been doing these takeovers. I cannot remember a single, um, I, I cannot remember a single count-out or DQ finish on a takeover in the, in the 25-plus takeovers they've done. So I don't want to see that. But maybe the finish can be done in a way where they protect Bianca and defeat, and they do. Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte versus Bianca at WrestleMania. It would be really cool to see Bianca get the spotlight. Maybe you have Bianca win, you know, without Charlotte getting pinned. Who knows? I wouldn't do that necessarily. Rhea Ripley just won the championship. There's a lot more for her to do in NXT before she drops it. And Bianca, I want in the main roster anyway. I want Charlotte to stay right where she is on Raw. I want Bianca to move up to Raw with her husband Montez Ford. Maybe not together as an actor, as a unit just yet. Um, I, I wouldn't do that until after the Street Profits break up well down the line. But um, Rhea Ripley should be the flag bearer for the NXT women's division, and she should hold on to it past WrestleMania. But we'll get to that when we get to that. In the meantime, I do love the idea of a Ripley-Flair-Belair feud, because so far it's been very well done. And I thought that segment on Raw this week, and even more so the segment on NXT on Wednesday, were both terrific television. Asuka knocked off Natalia on Raw in a very good match. I mean, say what you will about Natalia. I know I certainly do and how boring she is and overexposed and whatever, stagnant, stale. But she can still go. And she and Asuka had a very good match. I believe they had one match against each other on Raw a few months ago someone brought to my attention on Twitter. But other than that, um, we have not seen much of these two against each other. So they had a really good match here. Asuka went over clean before challenging Becky Lynch to a rematch for the Raw Women's Championship next week right here on the show, on Raw. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. The first match was great. Becky is absolutely showing more signs of maybe turning heel at some point, which I like a lot. Um, I wouldn't pull the trigger on that anytime soon. I would wait until after WrestleMania, because if she is indeed facing Shayna Baszler, as I've expected her to for months now, she can't exactly be the heel in that situation. I think Shayna's a great heel. Becky's a good baby face. There's no reason to mess that up right now. But down the road, Absolutely. 
And then in the uh, main event, as I mentioned earlier, Bobby Lashley versus Seth Rollins versus Ricochet in a number one contenders match for the WWE Championship at Super Showdown. Now, Drew has already chosen Brock to face at WrestleMania. We already know that match is happening. We know he's not facing Ricochet or Seth Rollins, so let's not... uh, Let's not get too excited here. But it was cool to see Ricochet win the main event of Raw, go on to face Brock at at, uh, the Super Showdown pay-per-view. And as much as I want to see Brock and Bobby, I've kind of not given up on the idea yet because they could still do it at some point. Um, They haven't built up Bobby enough to the point where he feels like a threat to Lesnar, but it's a throwaway show. And I agree with the masses where, yeah, I would love for them to save that for a bigger pay-per-view and really build it up more than for just a month. But the issue is, if they're never going to do it, they might as well have done it on this show. No harm, no foul. It's a fucking B-level pay-per-view. These shows suck anyway. Why the hell not? But I will say, though, Ricochet, it's cool to see him in that spot facing Brock. It's a fresh match. It makes sense. Brock low-blowed him on the Raw before the Royal Rumble. Ricochet low-blowed him at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, and that was what led to his elimination in the match, courtesy of, at the hands, or feet, rather, of Drew McIntyre. So it makes sense to do the match. And uh, it could be very fun. As long as it's not a glorified squash, I really do think a Ricochet-Brock match could be a lot of fun. A lot like the Rey Mysterio-Brock match was fun back at the um, Survivor Series pay-per-view, the Survivor Series pay-per-view a couple months ago. Or how fun the Finn Balor-Brock match was at the Royal Rumble last year. I think they could have some really good chemistry if they go into it more, and Brock has always worked well with the smaller opponents. As long as he doesn't go in there and squash him, then I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. Uh, real quickly, from NXT and Dynamite this past week, we'll start with NXT since I was already kind of talking about it anyway. Uh, we the Undisputed Era, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish interrupt the broserweights to kick off the show. Pretty solid, verbal, a pretty solid verbal exchange that set the stage for their match and brawl later on in the show. Um, obviously, it will be the broserweights versus Fish and O'Reilly for those NXT tag team titles at TakeOver, so this served to set that up, which was good. We had Angel Garza returning to the NXT Full Sail Arena to take on Isaiah Swerve Scott in a great match. They had a pretty good match at the TakeOver War Games 3 kickoff show a few months ago, but this was infinitely better. Um, that was good, but not quite as good as we knew they, uh, not quite as good as it could have been. This, they were given a chance to go out there, really put it all in the line, and it paid off. They delivered, had an awesome match, really enjoyed this. Angel Garza won in clean fashion, as he should have, before calling out the new NXT Cruiserweight champion afterward, Jordan Devlin, um, who we saw a little later on in the show. So he wants his championship back. I thought they would just have him drop the belt and have Garza move on to the main roster, but apparently not quite yet. Um, he still wants his rematch for that championship, which puts over how important that prize is. So maybe he'll finish up that loose end before going to Raw full-time. I'd be shocked if this was merely a one-off on Raw, like Chelsea Green or Deanna Perazzo. He was in a, in a marquee match with Rey Mysterio and Raw this week. So I would be shocked if it was just the one-off, which I, I don't think it is anyway. But anyway, so it looks like we might be getting Garza and Devlin at some point for the NXT Cruiserweight Championship, which could be absolutely awesome. And as Garza mentioned here, he was never pinned for his championship in that fatal four-way back at Worlds Collide. It was Isaiah Swerve Scott, actually, who was pinned in that match. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that rematch at some point. Um, I don't know if you would have him lose to Devlin before he goes to Raw full-time, but it's not the biggest deal. Uh, Maybe they do it on the TakeOver kickoff show. They already have six matches planned for that TakeOver show. So maybe not, I don't know if a pre-show match is necessary, um, but it would be pretty cool, and I think um, people would be into it. So we'll see. I guess we'll see whether they save it for a future episode of NXT TV, or they save it for that takeover, or the next takeover after that. We will soon see. 
Dominic Dijakovic, speaking of TakeOver, he will be officially facing Keith Lee for the NXT North American Championship at TakeOver Portland. That should be fucking awesome. For all the matches they've had in NXT, I think there's still one win apiece. That first match they had a year ago was ended in a countout. The second match ended with Dominic Dijakovic winning. The third match, Keith Lee won. And the fourth match ended in a double DQ, no contest, whatever, after Roderick Strong got involved. So um, I, I like the storytelling here. It, it's one win, one win, and then two draws, a countout, whatever. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the rubber match, a takeover for the NXT North American Championship. And I thought this was a good match with him and Dane. Um, and not Dane. Yeah, I, I wrote Damian Priest in my review for some reason, but it was killing Dane. Uh, Dijakovic and Dane had a really good match, and Dijakovic and Lee should be even better. Uh, Gargano and Finn Balor had a war of words of sorts. Uh, a war of words, rather. I don't know why I said war of words or whatever the fuck it was. Uh, war of words ahead of TakeOver Portland, where they will be facing off for the first time ever one-on-one. -on -one. Really good interview exchange here between the two. Um, Gargano had that great line about how Balor, bring your NXT version of Balor, not the losing to Bobby Lashley 17 weeks in a row on Raw, Finn Balor, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, this was a really good verbal exchange. Finn Balor also said, I'm going to give you, I'm not out there to steal the show. I'm going to give you the match of your life, the last match of your life, after already injuring Johnny a couple months ago at TakeOver War Games. Um, but yeah, I, I love this a lot. I thought this was great and got me even more hyped for the match at TakeOver than I already was. We saw Mercedes Martinez for the first time in action on NXT TV in singles competition, that is. She was a part of that Battle Royal a few weeks ago. She was in the Women's Rumble. She knocked off Casey Catanzaro here. I like this a lot. Casey is really, really good um, for someone with, how, with someone for as little experience as she has. She's already quite good. She has a lot of potential. She's very likable. She can move around, sell for people's offense. I thought she'll look great here. Mercedes Martinez established that he's dominant from the get-go. Really good stuff. Uh, we saw this massive brawl breakout between the Broserweights, Chomp on Undisputed Era, setting the stage for a six-man tag team main event later on. Uh, Jordan Devlin knocking out Tyler Breeze in non-title action. Very good match there. Devlin is a star. And I've said this before, but the guy is really, really fucking good. Um, do, not be, do not be sleeping on Jordan Devlin. The guy is awesome, and I think the Cruiserweight Championship is not his ceiling in WWE. He can go a lot further than that if they want him to. Um, and he should, absolutely, at some point. But in the meantime, it's great to have him on NXT and NXT UK and 205 Live. The guy's all over the place. So uh, really cool to see him in, in possession of the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. And um, yeah, this was a really good match with him and Breeze. Breeze doesn't really mean much at this point. He's no more than just another mid-carder in that um, you know NXT mid-card division, Cruiserweight division, whatever. But he works well with guys like Devlin, people like Isaiah Swerve Scott. Like, it's better than not using him at all while Fandango is out injured. So it's really nice to see Breeze's uh, talents being showcased while Fandango nurses his injury, and I'm not sure when he might be back. Uh, Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair attacked Charlotte Flair. I already talked about that earlier. They actually teamed up and took her out ahead of their takeover Portland match next weekend. Then the main event saw Tommaso Ciampa and the Broserweights knock off the Undisputed Eras, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, and Bobby Fish in six-man tag team action via disqualification. So Roddy got involved. They laid out the Broserweights. They were about to lay out Tommaso Ciampa. The lights go out. And the big mystery vignette, which I thought might be Killer Cross, um, who is indeed now signed to WWE, which is awesome. Instead, it was... Um, Velveteen Dream, who we have not seen on NXT TV since September. He got beat by Roddy for the NXT North American Championship. I think he was on the show the following week, and then he was supposed to be on it the week after that, 
But then um, he got injured, so they wrote him off, and they just never did the rematch. So he has unfinished business with Roderick Strong, with the Undisputed Era. It makes sense for him to be back in the spot. Yeah, Killer Cross would have been cool, but it would have made no sense so close to take over with, you know, uh, Fish and O'Reilly already doing their thing. Adam Cole's already feuding with Tommaso Ciampa. They can bring him in for the WrestleMania weekend show if they wanted to. But anyway, um, I thought this was um, just really good. I like this all around. Great to see Velveteen Dream back in unfinished business with Roderick Strong. That would be a great rematch for TakeOver, but um, they already have a full card, so maybe they save it for the next TakeOver or an episode of NXT TV at some point. And honestly, Adam Cole and Dream for the NXT Championship would make a lot of sense considering that um, you know Adam Cole did play a part in Dream losing that North American Championship, so... And Roddy's also owed a rematch for that North American Championship, so maybe they do Lee and, and, and Dream and Roddy in a triple threat since Dream never got his rematch for the championship. So there's a lot of possibilities here with Velveteen Dream. It's great to see him back, though. The guy's awesome, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he fits into the NXT, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the whole system now that uh, they've grown a lot in just the past five or six months since he's been gone. So overall, this was a really good show. I thought Dynamite was equally entertaining um, on Wednesday night. John Moxley knocking off Ortiz of um, Santana and Ortiz. Really good match. The outcome was never in doubt, but I thought it was a good match, action-packed match. Um, afterward, John Moxley um, took his keys to his 4GT, uh, the 4GT car that he was gifted by Chris Jericho a few weeks ago and stuck the keys right in the eye of Santana, which looked brutal. I know obviously he didn't do it, um, but it was just that it's just gross to even think about, to be honest with you. It's hard to watch. Um, I mean, obviously he can't watch because he has no eye right now, no pun intended, but that was a dumb joke. So John Moxley will face Santana on next week's show. SCU knocked off the best friends. They'll be challenging uh, the new champions, new AEW World Tag Team Champions, Hangman Page and Kenny Omega in a rematch for the tag team titles in two weeks' time, or rather next week on the show. Britt Baker lost to Yuka Sakazawi, or no, Saka... It was Sakazaki or something like that. Yuka Sakazaki. Um, I guess who was a part? She was a part of the, um, what was it? The Double or Nothing Fighter Fest shows last year. So uh, she beat Britt Baker here, which was a little surprising. I would not have done that personally, but they did it to tell the story of Britt Baker snapping and turning heel and, and taking out Yuka's teeth afterward, which was fucking gross. I don't think they're actual teeth or her, her real teeth, but it was still gross nonetheless. And, um, yeah, the Britt Baker heel turn is coming along nicely. I just don't really care about her matches so far, but that's hopefully something she'll improve upon going forward. We had an eight-man tag team match with the Lucha Bros, the Butcher, and the Blade knocking off the Elite, consisting of Paige, Omega, and the Young Bucks. This was a great match. Um, the AEW tag team division never ceases to deliver, but I have not been overly impressed with how they've, you know, booked and handled the Lucha Bros lately. Um, they really should feel like bigger deals than they are currently. But I'm glad they won here. I was not expecting that at all. I really expected the Elite to go over, for the Young Bucks to earn themselves, a tag team title shot at Revolution, which is likely where they're still headed with this. They have a tag team battle royal, I think coming up not next week, but the week after, to determine the number one contenders to the world tag team titles at Revolution, which will probably be won by the Young Bucks. I could see it coming down to the Young Bucks and the Lucha Bros and the Young Bucks go over. Whoop do you fucking do. But anyway... Um, this was really, really good stuff. I liked how Paige's, you know, first of all, he came out on his own without the Elite. He came out first and he was drunk and whatever. And then, 
you know, he could have tagged in the Bucks. He chose not to, and then he, you know, paid for his uh, he paid for his actions by getting pinned by the Lucha Bros. So it picks up, you know, gives the Lucha Bros a very big victory over the tag team champions. Hopefully, they're afforded another opportunity to those titles at some point in the not so distant future, and also further teases tension between the elite members with Page and the Bucks and Omega. So I like this a lot. Um, what I didn't like so much was the Kip Sabian Joey Janela stuff. I thought that was. Uh, it's kind of there, to be honest with you. I don't think they needed 11 minutes. That's just way too long for a Kip Sabian-Joey Janela match. It wasn't a terrible match, but, like, it was mediocre at best. I'll put it that way. Kip Sabian won, as he should have. I just don't really care about this feud. Yeah, Joey Janela used to date Penelope Ford, and now she's with Kip Sabian, but, I, you know, honestly, I really can't bring myself to care about this feud beyond that. Um, there, there really isn't much more to this feud beyond the obvious thing of Joey Janela dating um, you know, Penelope Ford in the past, and now she's with Kip Sabian. That's the only real reason why they're feuding, seemingly. And then in the main event, and not really a match, but we saw MGF give Cody 10 lashes. Um, you know, Aiken, the angle they did in ECW all those years ago with Sandman and Tommy Dreamer. They did something similar in Ring of Honor a few years ago with Flip Gordon and Bully Ray, which was a great angle. This I also thought was really well done. Now, it may not be for everyone. I will say that. But I thought the way this was executed with, you know, the Young Bucks coming coming out and showing concern, Art Anderson, Brandy Rhodes coming out was a little confusing because she's doing the whole Nightmare Collective bullshit right now, and then we're supposed to believe she's some evil figure any other time. I thought that was a little stupid. If you want to do stuff like this, it works. I think she's great in this role, and she can be a fine baby face, but you know, the whole Nightmare Collective crap just has to go. It's fucking terrible. I heard that Awesome Kong may be taking time off after she was written off of uh, TV on Dark this week. She may be taking time off to go film Glow. So hopefully that means the end for the Nightmare Collective because this angle is terrible. But anyway, I thought overall this was really well done. Um, MJF was great here. He was the ultimate asshole. Cody garnered ultimate sympathy. He was super. He was a super sympathetic babyface. This was just really, really well executed, and it made me want to see them go at it even more at the Revolution pay per view in a few weeks. Cody, before then, though, first has to face Wardlow, I believe, in his hometown of Atlanta, um, or in his home state of Georgia. I think he's from Marietta, Georgia. That's usually where they bill him. But they'll be in Atlanta in two weeks facing, and he'll be facing Wardlow in a steel cage match, the first of its kind in AEW. So I'm looking forward to that. And overall, again, I thought this was a very good show. I didn't really care too much for the Kip Sabian, Joey Janela stuff, but the ending angle was really well executed. It was compelling. It was intriguing. It was, you know, suspenseful. Um, I thought overall it was really, really well done. The eight-man tag team match was great. Britt Brit Baker got to further her heel turn by attacking uh, Yuka, which was well done. SCU versus Best Friends was entertaining. They also did the Dark Order thing, by the way. I forgot to mention that. Christopher Daniels was teased as the exalted one uh, when the Dark Order did not attack him. I really hope that's not where they're going with this. It just seems way too obvious, and I don't really want to see SCU break up. It kind of feels underwhelming, to be honest with you. I'd rather see it be a Woken Matt Hardy or not Adam Page, but anyone other than Christopher Daniels. I mean, I guess it would make sense given his fallen angel past, but I wouldn't do it personally. And John Moxley and Ortiz also worked as well, and I thought that was a good opener. And I liked how they advertised stuff for next week's show, two weeks, and three we- in three weeks on Dynamite. We're getting Kenny Omega versus Pac, uh, or Pac, or Pac, it's Pac, um, in a 30-minute Iron Man match, which is going to be awesome. So a lot to look forward to in the coming weeks on Dynamite and just in wrestling on the whole between Portland next week, the XFL this weekend. If you're going to be watching that, I'll probably just watch the first game and have that be it. 
But um, yeah, a lot to look forward to right now. We're in the full swing on the road to WrestleMania, so I'm very excited to be breaking all of it down right here on WrestleRant Radio in the coming weeks and months. Starting next week with my predictions and preview for TakeOver Portland. Going to be a great show next Saturday. Uh, rather, Sunday. They're moving the TakeOvers to uh, Sundays now, which I don't like as much, but it's not that big of a deal. Uh, we have a revolution coming up in a couple weeks after that. So, again, a lot to break down and to discuss here on Wrestle Rant Radio. Don't know if we'll be flying solo for next week's show. We may very well just do the predictions on a separate video outside of Wrestle Rant Radio. They will very likely be here on the show. Um, but I'm not sure if we'll have RJ on to break them down. Likely, yes, maybe just for the NXT predictions. I guess we'll soon see. But I'm looking forward to it nonetheless. At any rate, guys, be sure to subscribe to the show on all your podcast platforms. In addition to NextAirWrestling.net, we're also on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Podbean. We're all over the place. So subscribe today, rate the show, review the show. Your support of the show is greatly appreciated. As for me, folks, you can find me on the socials, on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, and also on YouTube at YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham G.S. and Matthews. So until next week, guys, have an awesome rest of your week. I'm Graham G.S. and Matthews. Enjoy the launch of the XFL this Saturday if you're watching. Let's go. I don't even know what the teams are. Honestly, I, I can't even bring myself to look it up. I'll be watching with my football jersey and all on Saturday afternoon. That'll be my fill of football for the year. But until then, guys, have a great one. I'm Graham G.S. and Matthews again, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Even though-